Tonight on Huckabee, Congressman Matt Gates calls out Adam Schiff on impeachment. Brandon Strzok leads the walkaway movement, and Tony Orlando shares the sounds of Christmas. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Milgram. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Ah, uh, thank you very much, and welcome to our show, coming to you from our wonderful studio and theater in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just north of Nashville. I cannot get this thing going without acknowledging that this weekend, it's going to be big. In fact, uh, for this special occasion, the banks and the post offices will all be closed because Trey Corley, our music director, is having a birthday on Sunday. Yeah. And it's a good thing his birthday isn't Monday because I'm not sure that the post offices and all the banks would be closed on Monday. But they might just for you, Trey. I don't know. Happy birthday. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, look, I'll be honest with you. I did not think that House Democrats were that dumb and partisan. But it turns out they are. This week, after three years of trying to come up with a reason to impeach President Trump, and they never found one, but they forged ahead anyway, with reasons that were weaker than this year's Arkansas Razorback football team. <laughs> I mean, they tried Russian collusion, obstruction of justice, quid pro quo, treason, extortion, bribery, and using ketchup on well-done steaks. <laughs> and that's the closest thing to an impeachable offense the president is really guilty of. Now, they had nothing but hot air. And Eric Swalwell provided a lot of that. <laughs> Some of you get that. Most of you don't need to. So they finally pretended to be sad and somber to file articles of impeachment that all but said, we got nothing. We know we got nothing. But we hate this president, and we hate the people who voted for him. So Jerry Nadler, the Democrat chair of the Judiciary Committee, even said that voters couldn't be trusted to remove the president. In other words, taxpaying citizens who, according to the Constitution, are the real bosses of America, Nadler says, we're just too dumb to be trusted, so we ought to count on Nadler, Adam Schiff, Maxine Waters, and Nancy Pelosi to do our thinking and our voting for us. Well, congratulations, Ms. Pelosi, Mr. Schiff, Mr. Nadler, and Ms. Waters. You got what you wanted, but I'll bet you don't want what you're about to get. You have lit a fire under the 63 million people who voted for Donald Trump. And I predict there are going to be millions more who vote for him less than a year from now because these vicious, partisan, politically heavy-handed maneuvers have now enraged a lot of fair-minded and rational Democrats and independents who see through this whole sham. I mean, they know well that the rules weren't followed and that it was a kangaroo court. There are even reports that Jerry Nadler will resign from Congress and take a job with Union Pacific because while he doesn't know Jack Schiff about the Constitution, <laughs> he knows how to run a railroad. Sadly, we'll see if that makes the edit. Sadly, this further divides the country and weakens our republic. What we have to insist is that Republicans in the Senate not get squishy, but force the Dems to show up, testify under oath, and get to the bottom of this outrageous conspiracy, attempted coup, and cover-up, all designed to undo an election that the Democrats didn't win. Now, there have only been three other impeachment processes in all of American history, and we've never had one that was a wholly partisan effort carried out strictly for political gains. This one is. When President Nixon was about to be impeached, over 400 members of Congress voted in a bipartisan way to proceed. That meant most of the Republicans and all of the Democrats voted to do it. Not one Republican will vote for this attempted coup. 
but several Democrats are expected to vote against their own boneheaded and bullheaded leaders. You see, I believe it is going to result in massive political losses for Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats who prove they hate President Trump more than they love their country. In addition to further dividing a very divided country already, I really believe it's going to do lasting damage to this nation and make way for Republicans to eviscerate the next Democrat ever to be elected president, if in fact that ever happens again. Now, we get it. Democrats in Congress and the media hate President Trump. But they've moved from being loyal opposition to stark raving nuts in their irrational obsession to tell the American voters just how stupid they were to vote for him. So if you ask me, it's not the voters who are stupid. It's arrogant members of Congress who forget they're representatives of the people, for the people, and by the people in the people's house. They are not aristocrats in a house of lords. And they may be getting a one-way ticket home next November. And I hope if they do go home, maybe they'll have a little time on their hands and could read the Constitution that they've decided to ignore and abuse. My first guest is a lawyer and a Republican member of Congress representing Florida's first congressional district since 2017. He's on the House Judiciary Committee. And he's been on the front lines opposing the impeachment of President Trump. Full disclosure, he's also my congressman, and I've supported him in his elections. And to tell you the truth, we'll continue to do so. The congressman joins us here tonight to break down what he says has been the most partisan presidential impeachment in American history. Please welcome Congressman Matt Gates, Congressman, right to the heart of this. Nancy Pelosi may have uh, sort of spilled a bean. She said that the Democrats have been working on impeachment for two years, but what they are charging him for just happened a few months back. How can that be? We've seen for the last two years that Democrats have been playing pin the tail on their favorite impeachment theory. And even the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, campaigned to his colleagues years ago that he wanted to be chairman because he thought he would be most capable to lead on an impeachment. You know, they accuse the president of abuse of power, but it is Democrats who have abused power in Congress, unlike at any other time in American history. How frustrating is it to be sitting there in Congress, you have a constitutional responsibility to present the other side, and you don't get the opportunity to adequately present the other side? It's deeply frustrating, but the Democrats did learn lessons from the Russia investigation. You see, as we had the opportunity to point out political bias, as we had the opportunity in public to question people like Peter Strzok about the extent to which they polluted our FBI and our intelligence community with their own feelings about the president, that gave great context. It gave a full picture to the American people. And then the Democrats were unable to launch an impeachment based on their phony Russia investigation. Fast forward to Ukraine, the, the sort of knockoff Ukrainian sequel to the Russia hoax. They constrained evidence. They limited our ability to show the American people the truth about what was really going on, thinking that would help them. In fact, it backfired because now even members of our party who are critics of the president, even members of the Senate who are Republicans that aren't really central to the president's political identity, are recognizing how unfair this was and how damaging to our country it would be if we allowed a removal of the president based on such thin facts and based on such a flawed and partisan process. So there are no Republicans, not one, not one single Republican who is supporting the impeachment of the president. Yet when Richard Nixon uh, was in the process of being impeached, virtually all the Republicans joined Democrats in doing it. So I think people see through that. Are you sensing that when you talk to constituents and when you talk even to your Democratic colleagues in, the, in Washington? Remember just a few months ago, Governor, they said, well, even though we don't have public support for this today, we need to have public hearings because once we have public hearings, then it will animate this wave of public support for impeachment. That fizzled. That was a total nothing burger. And so now, somewhat sheepishly embarrassed by the fact that they didn't have evidence to support their claims, they're pursuing impeachment in the absence of facts. I don't think any of us doubt that the Democrats will end up voting to send this to the Senate uh, for trial. Uh, even though I do expect some Democrats will bolt and won't do it. But when it gets there, 
uh, th there's indications. Senator Graham, Senator McConnell even talking about basically just taking it and immediately acquitting the president. Is that a good idea or should they take it to the fight and bring witnesses out, force Adam Schiff to testify, force Jim Comey to come under oath uh, and testify and numerous others? My suggestion is that immediately the impeachment should be dismissed, rejected, the president fully exonerated and acquitted. And then once that question is resolved, it is entirely appropriate for Senator Graham to lead an effort to get to the bottom of this, to call the DNC operatives who are shuttling information and planning strategy between the Democratic Party and the Ukrainian embassy, call those folks forward, Nellie Orr, who was out trying to convince corrupt Ukrainians to share dirt about the president. Let's find out the extent to which that made its way into the Department of Justice because she was married to a senior Justice Department official who was shuttling political dirt into our intelligence committee that ended up being presented uh, to a FISA court. So I think that those are questions we can ask and we should ask, but let's dispense with the notion that there is anything other than a full acquittal and a full exoneration for our president ahead in the Senate. Congressman, before I let you go, I want to talk about the Pensacola Naval Air Station shooting, a mm. horrible tragedy. You were the first to uh, acknowledge and even make it clear this was an act of terrorism. There's now a policy or a push that there won't be foreign nationals on our military bases who have the capacity to bring firearms and will start allowing our own service people to defend themselves. What, what can you tell us about the aftermath of what's happened in Pensacola and how things will change. I think that discussion has to start with the bravery of our local law enforcement, but also the sailors who were stationed at NAS Pensacola, who without guns, without firearms, ran toward the shots, ran in to help their fellow sailors, to care for the wounded, and to try to neutralize the shooter. But when I think of the patriotism of those sailors, when I think of my constituents showing such a love of country that they would wear the uniform and such a love for each other that they would, that they would put themselves in harm's way to try to end this casualty before more were harmed, it restores my faith that America's best days are still ahead. But folks who have the propensity, the likelihood for radicalization in the absence of sufficient vetting should not be allowed to come and learn how to operate a U.S. warplanes and, and U.S. equipment on our soil. It presents too much risk. Well, Congressman, I think we could point out that your district, the first district of Florida, has more veterans and active duty military than any congressional district in the entire United States. You're the right person to be leading that discussion. Thank you for joining us. I'm proud us. of them. Well, we all are Thank and you, we Mayor all Christmas should Governor. be. What a delight to have you here. Merry Christmas to you and your family, Matt. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Special thanks to Congressman Matt Gates. By the way, you can keep up with the Congressman on his social media pages, at Matt Gates on your screen. Also, visit gates.house.gov for his office contacts. Now, someone once said, no news is good news. No journalist is even better. Well, if you want more of my thoughts on the news this week and less mainstream journalists spin, Drop by MikeHuckabee.tv after the show and join me for the facts of the matter. I'll even tackle some insightful questions from viewers as best I can. I look forward to seeing you for facts of the matter on Huckabee.tv. Hey, Keith, this is a big, I mean big, big night. So why don't you tell everybody about the guest lineup we've got coming? Well, coming up, political activist Brandon Strzok. Later, celebrity chef Melissa the Arabian. And singer Tony Orlando performs on Huckabee. Be sure and visit Samaritan's Purse website or call them right now. Be sure to choose one of 41 different gifts that will bring hope to the hurting this Christmas. From bees to fruit trees, from warm clothing to job training, you can help children in need, whether it's to liberate innocent souls caught up in human trafficking, even empower single moms with job training so that you can help them raise their children up from poverty. Choose to care by choosing a gift of hope that heals the broken and shares the good news of the gospel. Well, my next guest was once a devastated Hillary voter, but the toxic way the left reacted to that loss made him rethink everything. His Facebook video ignited a nationwide movement to reject the left's hatred, violence, and fake news. And now he's preparing to lead a march on Washington in 2020, calling even more Americans to wake up and walk away. 
Passivity got us here. Today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. Complacency got us here. Silence got us here. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. No more. It's time for the silent majority to become unsilent. Coming in the fall of 2020, Walk Away Campaign implores you to take a stand, to come together in unity, and fight back against the lies, the division, and the hate with love. Once upon a time, I was a liberal. This is our last chance to save America. Walk Away Campaign presents the Unsilent Majority March on Washington. Visit unsilentmarch.com. Please welcome back the founder of the walkaway movement, Brandon Strzok. Brandon, great having you it's back. It's great to be back. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. We Thank had you. such a good time when yes. you first were launching Walkaway. I think, I think it may have been your first television appearance from that Facebook post. We were all mesmerized by what you were doing. It was Thank bold you. and daring. And what I have admired about what you're doing is that it's not about just trying to say, okay, this party versus this party. It's about saying we ought to be able to live in a country where we can disagree without being hateful. With Walkaway, we don't tell people to leave one party and join another party. We're not telling them to leave groupthink and to walk into another form of groupthink. We're not telling people what to think. We're just saying, please think independently, critically, skeptically, think for yourself. Turn off the fake news. Start thinking for yourself. And it's sad that one of the major political parties in this country, the Democratic Party, has essentially become synonymous with hatred, uh, uh, rage, sometimes violence, vandalism, and, and divisiveness. Well, and when you made that transition yourself, uh, I'm sure you had friends that thought you'd lost your mind. How tough has that been? As I've kind of pushed forward with Walk Away and made that my drive and my ambition to build this movement, uh, I kind of put that out of my mind. And I thought that there's something larger and bigger at stake, which is to grow this movement. But I have to say, I had the distinct pleasure of, for the first time, meeting President Trump a few weeks mm. ago in Florida. And it was the strangest thing. As I was standing there looking at him, and I had this overwhelming sensation. I wish my friends were here. <laughs> I did. Really? Yeah, all of my friends who, uh -huh. who kind of turned their backs on me, I, I just thought to myself, I wish they could see this thing that's happening in my life. But unfortunately, politics turned them away from me. Tell us about what you're planning for next year, because it's going to be a long, frankly, grueling, hostile election year. We're going to be getting into as many college campuses as we can with the Walkway Thought Revolution College Campus Tour. Uh, we're doing these different minority town halls coast to coast to try to wake up minorities in this country and say, hey, it's time to walk away. And as you just saw, something we're very excited about, the Unsilent Majority March on Washington, yeah. October 3rd in D.C. People can go to unsilentmarch.com if they want to get tickets. Come out. Let's show support for this president. Let's show support for America. This is, it's do or die. This election is the most important election of my lifetime. I'm going to do everything that I can to support my president. Before I let you go, i got to ask you about your presence on college campuses because there's such an effort to silence free speech. Yes. So when you go to the campuses, what kind of reaction you get when you tell them your story? I don't consider myself a provocateur. That's yeah. one thing that I think I do differently. I'm not going on campuses to trigger liberals. That's yeah. not my thing. I'm actually trying to unite people, bring people together, open up minds, and, 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 and create uh, togetherness. That's what I want to do. You know, I want to tell you from the first time I saw your video to you're coming on the show before, you've just been one of my favorite people. Thank I love you. your enthusiasm, the joy, and also your convictions, the sincerity. Your authenticity is so very powerful. And it's disarming to people. Thank you, sir. Come back often. I will. I appreciate you. Thank you. Great having you Great back. To see you. Thank you. Brandon Strzok. Thank you. Now, if you want to join Brandon Strzok in standing up against the left's intolerance at one of his upcoming events, even if you'd like to invite him to speak in your community, visit walkawaycampaign.com. Also, follow him on Facebook and Twitter at Brandon Strzok. Be sure to look at the spelling of that. It may not be what you think it sounds like, so get it off the screen. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, who we have to come off the screen just to talk to him, 
He's going to tell you why you shouldn't walk away from this show during the break. Team? Oh, you should not dare. Next, television host Megan Alexander brings hugs. Then later, Food Network star Melissa the Arabian and How to Live Beyond Pain with Dr. Linda Mental on Huckabee. Next week, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue on trade agreements that work. And political pollster Scott Rasmussen looks at the 2020 elections. And welcome back to our show. Now, from a wedding proposal during a robbery to the cleanest donuts in the land, we've got the news that'll make you want to give Adam Schiff a lie detector test, all in a segment we like to call in case you missed it. Well, for all you husbands out there, how did you propose to your bride? Maybe at a wonderful restaurant, perhaps with a skywriting airplane, or as one man chose to do, did you stage a convenience store robbery with your girlfriend as hostage and then pop the question? If only I were making this story up. In this video, a man with a gun follows the store clerk, Mr. Ray Giuliano, and his girlfriend into the back of the store. Giuliano's girlfriend can be seen begging for her life. Now, the robber can be seen giving Giuliano a ring, which he then uses to propose to his catatonic girlfriend. She accepts. And I mean, who wouldn't with an armed robber offering a ring and telling your boyfriend to man up? Giuliano did tell Inside Edition that the gun was fake. That was to make the proposal as safe as possible. <laughs> By the way, since then, the groom has apologized multiple times and accepted his girlfriend's new nickname for him, Bonehead. <laughs> Moving on. <clears throat> I suspect that the people who design ugly Christmas sweaters must be on drugs, and now there is proof. Walmart just yanked this third-party vendor's sweater from its website because it shows a crazy-eyed Santa sitting at a table with a straw in his hand and what appears to be three lines of cocaine. This surely gives new meaning to the phrase, dashing through the snow. <laughs> After Walmart yanked the sweater, they got complaints from liberal shoppers who wanted to buy the sweater. But maybe they didn't notice that Santa was doing something really offensive to the planet. He was using a plastic straw. <laughs> now, finally tonight, Huckabee viewers Debbie and Monty in Fort Worth, Texas are fans of this segment. I'm glad somebody is, because this audience is definitely not tonight. <laughs> so they decided to send in a business sign that shows how innovative the people of Fort Worth truly are. Now, as you can see, this may be the only establishment in America where you can purchase wash-and-dry donuts. <laughs> right there on the sign. I wonder if I could get a dry-clean bear claw. <laughs> well, just like a veteran quarterback with a rookie offensive line, we got to get out of here fast. But always remember, we read the news. My next guest is an actress, author, speaker, Emmy-nominated correspondent for Inside Edition. But my next guest is also famous for having a successful media career while putting family and Christian values first. And she's the author of this beautiful new children's book, One More Hug. I can't wait to read it to my own grandkids. Would you please welcome Megan Alexander. Megan, welcome Thank back you, to the show. Thank you. So nice to have you here. Wonderful to be here. When I read all these things you're doing, I'm thinking, you don't sleep, do you? Not really. <laughs> I mean, you have so much going on. I mean, just doing Inside Edition alone yeah. is a more than full-time career. Uh, but I always have admired, you've never shorted your children, your family life, that still remains the core of your life. Well, thank you. I try. I try my very best. It's a constant juggle and balance, but I have a very supportive husband. He's an incredible teammate. 
supportive family, and we believe at the end of the day, this is where God wants us, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing to shine a light. Um, so thank you for saying that. I, 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 it's greatly increased my prayer life to do all these things. <laughs> but I think it's important that you've remained with a, a clear focus on your spiritual life and, and how you've got to be uh, a spiritual example yeah. to your children. Yeah. Is that what was sort of the foundation of One More Hug in this book? Yes. I have three young children now, and I got to be honest with you. I feel like I can interview celebrities and newsmakers, but when my four-year-old asks me a question, I'm terrified. <laughs> being, a, being a parent has, uh. has, has been just a time for me to go, gosh, what do I really stand for? What do I believe in? And like I said, I'm, I'm praying constantly, Lord, how can I be a good parent? And I got really worried. There was a point in my life when I was really worried that I wasn't doing everything right. We're at the bus stop. My son is in kindergarten and the bus rolls up and he runs back to me and he says, mama, mama, one more hug. And he must've done that four or five times all through kindergarten. Oh. And it was God speaking to me. I really believe in going, maybe it's as simple as just offering one more hug right now. So I wanna know, does the four-year-old get royalty since it really was his <laughs> idea? <laughs> Right. I mean, come on, Megan. I mean, the kid came up with this idea. You should be giving this boy some, some uh, real royalties. He gets off. bragging rights on the playground. Okay, all right. <laughs> he can say, that was my idea. That's Mama right. stole it for me. She's a plagiarist. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's, it's, it was You fun. know he's going to grow up and sue you. You know, I mean, Please no, know. I'm just kidding. Right? not going to do that. <laughs> um, but it was fun to write the story together. And I mean, just to have this moment in our family and have the conversation of, especially for young boys, it's always okay to ask for affection and reassurance mm. and encouragement. Because being in the media, I see that very quickly we tell our boys, you know, wipe those tears, toughen up. I think there's a way we can encourage guys to certainly be strong and tough and leaders, but it's still okay to run back for a hug and show that emotion. Because don't those ultimately make the best husbands and fathers? I'm so glad that you're giving that message out. Yeah. It's almost that somehow masculinity is supposed to be robbed of any sense of emotion. Right. And, and I think that is such a great message that your book is uh, teaching kids. So I knew it's for boys or girls, but this is a great book Thank you. for little boys. Thank you. Yes. It's okay to go hug your mom. Absolutely. And let me add, <laughs> it's okay to go hug your, your grandfather. It's perfectly good to do that. As you should. And I have had grown men read this book and say to me, I still want one more hug from my mama. It is a great <laughs> message and a terrific book. Uh, I would say for children, but I think this is probably a pretty good book for some adults who need to do a little hugging too. <laughs> so let me just say one more hug. It is available on Amazon and you can learn more and get an autographed copy. What a great Christmas idea, right? And you can get that at MeganAlexander.com. If you want to keep up with Megan on Twitter, uh, just follow at Megan Alexander. Visit iTunes to hear the beautiful song that she co-wrote and recorded that is inspired by the book. The song? Well, guess what? It's called One More. Keith? Well, coming up, celebrity chef and best-selling author Melissa D. Arabian, psychology expert Dr. Linda Mittal, and singer Tony Orlando takes the stage on Huckabee. Welcome back. As you can see, we're going to have a little fun right now because my next guest became an American celebrity chef when she won Food Network Star Season 5. Yeah. Her latest book is called Tasting Grace. Invites us to a gourmet dinner table that connects us with God, with one another, and with ourselves. She's here to tell us about her book and to cook us a culinary delight. Will you please welcome Melissa D. Arabian. Melissa, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. So excited. What a well, first of all, I, the whole concept that you've done in this book is recipes, but it's more than that. It's a message. It's a message about why people and families need to connect to each other when they eat. Why is that important? Well, whoever is around our table is far more important than whatever it is that we are serving them. And we've lived it, we've gotten into the space where we think that hospitality is performance. Yeah. And we know that it's not. What does God say about food? 
And it yeah. turns out God has a lot to say about food, and it's not always in line with what yeah. society is saying about food. So does he say anything about biscuits and gravy? I'm just yeah. curious. Keith and I want to know. <laughs> I, I think biscuits and gravy are, are God's, okay. are I just God's meal. But, you know, here's, here's the joy that we're given with food and God. God is using food to reach down to us and bring us together. And he invites us into hospitality, into connecting, and into patience. And so the recipe I have to show for you, show today invites you into a little bit of patience mm. because it involves a stew. Ah. And letting the stew stew is perhaps maybe a little bit of a gift from God. Maybe it's not a flaw of the food system, but rather a feature of the food system. Is this something that is easy enough that a person can do and make it work for their family. Absolutely, and I'm gonna show you how easy it is. We, we marinated some chuck beef, a nice mm. inexpensive cut of meat okay. that is just gonna become tender and flavorful as it cooks for a long time. Um, so we marinated it overnight. Then we sauteed it up with um, a little bit of bacon. Um, and yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. Also, also God's food. Yeah. Right? There we go. Um, and then, so now what we're going to do is we're going to add in some other ingredients and then send it into a braise. And I'm okay. just going to show you. Um, we're going to add in, so I've got the meat already browned right. in here um, with a little bit of carrot and onion and, um, and the bacon, okay. of course. Of course. Um, so adding in some more onion, a little bit of garlic. And you can smash or mince that if you want. Okay. Um, some herbs, just some rosemary, some thyme, and some bay leaves. And then we add in just the marinade, which is just red wine and a little bit of red wine vinegar. Mm -hmm. And then add in a little bit of water. And this is just going to go into the oven for about three hours. Or you can put it on your stovetop if you want it on really low. And just let it braise. Mm. We're so quick to want to have the fast thing. And I yeah. get it. I'm a busy mom. But maybe sometimes there's something to be said for letting the stew stew. And I think that every meal, every bite of food we have can bring us closer to God and to each other and to our earth and to ourselves. And after all, he created all the food that we ever put on our tables anyway, so. Yes, and he could have made the world less delicious than it is. Have you ever thought about that? God That's didn't have point. to make food delicious. Never thought of that. And he did. Yeah. He is welcoming us into delight. So this idea of get into the gym and work off as punishment, that last pumpkin pie slice that you had with Aunt Edna and enjoyed and connected over, that, that doesn't come from God. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible where it says that exercise is now punishment for being bad and having pie. I knew I loved her. <laughs> All right, so now you've got the finished product yeah, over here. I do. You wanna, right. wanna, wanna get us plate? Yes, I do. All right, give you a bowl and then as you see, I have macaroni because I feel like macaroni is like the best pasta ever, well. right? So is this a base for the uh, beef? Yeah, so we're gonna put a little bit of macaroni in our bowl, so okay. I'll let you do it. Um, I topped it with a little bit of breadcrumbs and, and butter and just Ooh. got it a little bit I'll extra trade. yummy. There you go. Um, and then we just baked it for a few minutes. Okay. And then let's get our, our spoon here. All right. And then we'll just add some stew right on top. My hands are clean, can I? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Just a little bit. I've eaten in some team. places, Melissa. Trust me, you're fine. <laughs> uh, there we go. There are a little bit of breadcrumbs just to have a little bit of texture. Okay. And there you go. Voila, bon appetit. What is this called? This is called a daube à la provençale. Say what? Which is yeah, daube. It's I think daube? of it as just like a beef stew. Okay. It's, uh, Provençal is Pro Provence is the south of France. Okay. And that's where my husband is from, and that's where I learned to relax and sit in and then enjoy slowing down for a moment you at know, the table. You know, it sounds so fancy, but it's, it's can stew. I try? Can it's I? Stew. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's yes. I didn't, I didn't do all this cooking for you not mm. to eat it. Mm. This is good. Right? What do you think? Right? But I'm going to give it a new name. Well, oh, yeah, what? Beef stew. Beef stew. That's genius. Because I can't pronounce the other one. This is great. Total cooking time. Well, Prep and all. What would it... You've got to marinate. The, the prep is quick. Mm -hmm. It's the marinating. And then it, you, know, you stick it in the oven for a few hours. I think the joy of tasting grace is leaning into this world where 
God says, I gave you food for you to delight in and for you to connect mm. in. And so for us to just reconnect to that and step away from this idea that we need to, you know, check Pinterest to have a dinner party. Let's invite each other into our homes and connect. Well, Melissa, I'm going to tell you, this would be a great Christmas present, not just for women, but for men. Mm -mm, I wouldn't mm -mm. mind having this. It's called Tasting Grace. And uh, I want to encourage you to get your copy of Melissa D. Arabian's wonderful, wonderful book. It's called Tasting Grace. You can get it everywhere books are sold, online, bookstores, to learn more about Melissa and get her recipes. There you go. And also some cooking tips. Go to melissadarabian.net. Well, recently, Irish rock band We Are Messengers lead singer Darren Mulligan came by the studio to tell us about the band's soon-to-be-released album called Power. He also performed an acoustic version of their hit, God With Us. You can watch my exclusive interview with Darren, as well as his performance after the show on Huckabee.tv. Hey, Keith, you didn't get to eat any of this great food, but I am going to let you tell the folks at home what we have coming up next. Thanks, I guess. She didn't mention chocolate once. Hey, coming up, Dr. Linda Mental helps people live beyond pain. Then, Tony Orlando sings on Huckabee. Welcome back to our show. My next guest is a popular radio host, a best-selling author, and a longtime marriage and family therapist who's known as the Relationship Doctor. Her new book examines the epidemic of chronic pain. It afflicts over 100 million people in the United States, and it talks about how patients can manage their pain without dangerous long-term drugs. Please welcome the co-author of Living Beyond Pain, Dr. Linda Mental. Linda, great to Hi. have you here. Good to be here. This is a topic that is on fire, Dr. Mental, because people across America have been hearing all about the opioid crisis and the people who are addicted. But there are people in this country, 100 million we just heard, are in pain. That's right. What do they do? I wrote this book with a physician, and we were looking at what are all those people going to do who maybe are rightfully on opioids. Uh, some of them, we know that opioids don't always work with chronic pain, so they needed lots of solutions. So we reviewed all the evidence. We looked at all the research-based approaches to chronic pain and put those in the book and tried to understand a little bit more about helping people what chronic pain is all about. Are there treatments other than pharmaceuticals that can help people with, with real, not imagined, but right. genuine pain. And there are people who hurt every single day that's of right. their lives. That's right, but pain perception is in the brain. And that's one of the things that we talk about a lot in the book. So if you change your thinking, it helps turn down the dial on pain. If you change your emotional state, so if you work on depression or anger or unforgiveness or any type of negative emotion, it turns that dial down. If you work on your stress and you're able to manage stress better, it turns the dial down. And then there are a whole host of other types of treatments. We look at everything from acupuncture to medical marijuana to CBD oils to... Does um, any of that work? The, the data is really still, we need to look at medical marijuana quite a bit. We haven't yeah. had it done well in terms of the research yet. There is some promise maybe with CBD as we look at that, but we have to be very careful because the studies just aren't there. So as we look at all those treatments, we're really saying that a lot of it, the jury is out. Now, acupuncture does seem to work for people. We do advocate in the book something that people don't know about much is osteopathic manipulative treatments. It's called OMT, and it's a form of osteopathic, doctors of osteopathic medicine do it all the time. They work with their hands. And when there are structural problems with pain, they can change that and work with it. They're non-pharmaceutical types of treatments, and they're amazing in terms of how they help people. How did we get so messed up 
with yeah. opioids because, I mean, it's hit every family. It I don't has. know of a single family in That's America right. that hasn't had one or two degrees separation from somebody with an opioid crisis. When, when you're seeing 19-year-olds who are dying, you know, putting on their shoes because they're taking an opioid that's been laced with fentanyl, there have been several stories like that in the news where parents walk into their bedroom in the morning and they find their child overdosed. And so you're right, it's hit every single type of person that you can imagine. You can't pick out the opioid addict when you're yeah. looking at a, you know, the audience. You couldn't right. tell who, who that would be. But it's really been a journey with all of this where it started with some, some research that wasn't really accurate about that opioids are not addictive, which now we know, of course, they are highly addictive. How did that happen? How did the research there get was put a, out there that was so bad? Was, did somebody get paid off? No, it was really a, a small article in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a very well-respected you know, journal. And it was a small study, and it was taken out of context. And that sometimes happens in medicine. And then Big Pharma got involved in this, and they started developing OxyContin. And then they started to pressure the hospitals to be using these medications to treat pain. At one point, the pain became the fifth vital sign, they called it, where mm. doctors were, were told, you have to assess for pain. If somebody is in pain, you need to give them treatment. And doctors were literally told that these are not addictive and they would be okay. So we went from that, where they were basically being passed out like M&Ms. Overprescribed, yes. And then suddenly it was, you can't get a prescription right. for an opioid because doctors are scared to death to prescribe it, even for patients who we might be it. terminally ill. It probably won't change their trajectory of their lives a whole lot, but may relieve some pain. Well, you and I talked about it's kind of a pendulum because now there is, there, I think there's really good regulations now for physicians. They've got, we've got all kinds of waivers and other treatments that we can help people get off of these medications and then offer these other alternatives. But it's gonna take a while. And one of the things that people need to understand is that not everybody on an opioid is an addict. Hmm. So there are appropriate uses, like you said, um, when those are regulated, but you need to be, have them regulated and see your physician and make sure that you're being monitored. What scares you the most about people who are in chronic pain and the decisions that they make? Because sometimes they may be, they're so desperate, they hurt so bad, and, and you know, we all know people. And you can see it in their face. And these are not whiners or complainers, and That's these right. aren't people who are faking it. They wake up every day. I think one of the biggest fallouts is you can become very depressed when you're in chronic pain and you feel like you don't have any hope. And the good news is, is if you understand how chronic pain works in the brain, you can change the perception of, of pain in your brain. You have to work with your thinking, your beliefs, your emotions, all of that can change the perception of pain and help people. So we can give people a much better quality of life. We can get them up and functioning again and have them enjoy their life again. And I think that's why the book Living Beyond Pain uh, is so valuable. Could be a great Christmas gift, by the that's way, right. for people who are saying, I've got a friend, I've got a relative, and they're in intense pain. Dr. Mental's book, Living Beyond Pain, a holistic approach to manage pain and get your life back. It's available now and wherever books are sold. To learn more and to find out all about her other books, her blog, and much more, visit drlindamental.com. Also, follow her on social media platforms at Dr. Linda Mental. Now, Keith Bilbrey is holding the antidote to all of our boredom and difficulties, misery, and pain, and he's going to tell you all about it right now. Oh, I'm so excited. Coming up, the hit-making voice of Tony Orlando. He's bringing Christmas cheer next on Huckabee. Welcome back. 60 years ago, at the age of 16, Tony Orlando began his music career in New York City as a solo singer and had his first hit, Halfway to Paradise. Then, with Tony Orlando and Donnie, had five number one hits with Candida, Knock Three Times, Sweet Gypsy Rose, He Don't Love You Like I Love You, and the signature song that we all cherish and never grows old, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. He's also a very successful songwriter and music executive. Please welcome my dear friend, Tony Orlando. Thank you, Bob. Thank oh, you, Bob. What a pleasure. See you. What an audience. They're great, aren't they? You're a great man, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you. You have done so many things for veterans. Most people have no idea the thousands of hours you 
donated and cared for the veterans. Why is that so very important to you? First time I ever sang Yellow Ribbon. I don't think I ever told you this. I was invited by Bob Hope to come to the mm -hmm. Cotton Bowl. He said, I got a phone call at home, and I hear this voice. Hi, this is Bob Yellow Ribbon Hope. I said, really? I said, this is Frank, I don't believe you're Sinatra. <laughs> Who is this? No, Tony, it's really Bob Hope. I want you to come down to the Cotton Bowl, sing that Yellow Ribbon song to welcome home our POWs from Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Uh. I walked out to 70,000 people. Governor, there was 500 of the bravest men I've ever mm. met, and I've reunion with those POWs almost every year since that day. Is that right? Wow. And the thing, the thing that they taught me... Their eyes hadn't even adjusted to daylight yet. They sat there, and they were just out of that terrible concentration camp that they were in, mm. where they were tortured. And here I am singing Yellow Ribbon, and they're singing it with me. Uh. And I thought, and Bob said to me, you're gonna sing this for the rest of your life, and he was right. Yeah. <laughs> and it has caused me to realize how important our veterans are. Mm. And so in 1993, I go to Branson. 73, I cut Yellow Ribbon. And I did free shows for veterans since 1973 to now hmm. and raised almost $300 million. $300 million. Because of Larry Brown's Yellow Ribbon. That is so fantastic. Thank you. Well, part of your life was not just singing, but you were a music executive. You signed a, a guy that uh, may had some promise. He turned out to have a mediocre career, a little guy named Barry Manilow. Yeah. You signed him yeah, to a record I deal. I produced his first records. <laughs> Actually, my first uh, group that I represented was a group from, from uh, Canada, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Remember? Whoa. Yeah. What goes up <laughs> must come down. <laughs> Spinning wheel. They know it. Of course they do. <laughs> then, then a young man we signed, great artist, great writer, came into the office, tight jeans, a guitar on his back, James Taylor. James Taylor was one of your signers. Yeah, one of the signings that I had part, yeah. part I represented his music yeah. for Clive Davis for four years. And then I signed Barry and produced his first records. And uh, I was right, he became a big star. But uh, let's talk about the Christmas show. You got one coming up in, uh, in Vegas. I wrote the show uh, as a play, a musical. Santa comes to my house. I think he's a thief coming into the house to rob the house. <laughs> Turns out he proves to me he's Santa. And when I ask him, why now? Why would you come to my house now? He said, well, Tony, you know, you have a beautiful house. Everything's decorated beautiful, but there's something missing. I said, missing? In my house? Impossible. He said, I don't see a nativity scene. Mm. And I go, I'm ashamed. You're right. I say, next year. He goes, no, this year. He comes back and he hands me and says, Merry Christmas, Tony. And from that moment on, the show is about the Lord Jesus Christ wow. and the birth of Christ. What a beautiful, and that's gonna be in Vegas. And we've worked that show wow. in Vegas. Yeah. And it's a compliment to Michael Gaughan, who owns the South Point, because we played that show in Vegas now for 20 straight years and sold out every single show. That is fantastic. Yeah. And Vegas could use a little of that, that's great. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. Vegas has embraced it and has helped it make it the hit that it is. You've performed at the White House many, many times for many presidents, eight Democrats presidents, and Republicans. Eight, eight presidents. Eight presidents. Whoever is in the White House, yeah. whether I agree with them and their policy at all, it is my job, in my opinion, our job as Americans, to uplift them. Yeah. And to make them happy. <laughs> well, you have done that. Now, you got to make me happy tonight. You made me happy by being here, but the other thing will make me happy because I can't have Tony Orlando here and not have you sing. So as Tony gets ready to sing a song from his Christmas show, our Keith Bilbrey is gonna tell you how you can get your hands on Tony's music, which I hope you will do, because <laughs> it is just as good as it's ever been. And I love Tony Orlando, I love his music, and you're gonna love what's coming up. Keith? You can see Tony Orlando's Christmas show at the South Point Casino in Las Vegas on December 19th through the 22nd. More information for Tony's 2020 tour dates, just go to his website, TonyOrlando.com. After the show, go to Huckabee.tv to see Tony perform Mary Did You Know. Now, 
Here to perform is Tony Orlando. Thank you. Thank you. When December rolls around And old man winter comes to town From every point of call It's the greatest of them all Come on, come on I'm taking you to New York today Ah, it's Christmas in New York it's a special time of year Christmas in New York The city's full of Yuletide cheer There's magic in the air From Greenwich Village to Times Square Ah, it's Christmas Yes, it's Christmas in New York Christmas in New York A stroll down all Broadway Dinner and a show The glitter of the great white way The tree at 30 Rock A carriage ride through Central Park Yes, it's Christmas It's Christmas in New York Check it out the hustle and the bustle And the people on the streets The taxi horns, the subway roars You can feel it neath your feet Sidewalk Santa's ring the bell Before they pass the hat I am midnight mass And old St. Pat's is really where it's at Ah, Christmas in New York It's the only place for me Yes, Christmas in New York There's no place I'd rather be It's a Disneyland with snow The big red apples all aglow Yes, it's Christmas It's Christmas in New York Okay, audience, come on Let's do it. Come on. Yeah. Midnight mass at Old St. Pat's is really where it's at. Ah, Christmas in New York. It's the only place for me. Ah, Christmas in New York. There's no place I'd rather be It's a Disneyland with snow The big red apples all aglow It's a very merry Christmas It's that very merry Christmas Yes, it's Christmas Christmas in New York Merry Christmas, everybody! <laughs> 